Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week on Tuesday, a fascism in fiction episode. This episode, I'm talking about the 1998 crime drama, American History X. American History X is directed by Tony Kay, who is Jewish. It's relevant for what the movie is about. It's his directorial debut. It stars Edward Norton as Derek Vineyard, a role that he received an Oscar nomination for. Edward Furlong of Terminator 2 fame, he's the kid, as Danny Vineyard, Derek Vineyard's younger brother. Also appearing are Avery Brooks, who is Captain Sisko of DS9 as a stoic anti-gang principal, and Jennifer Lien, who is also in Star Trek. She is Voyager's Kess as Derek and Danny's sister, although as far as I can tell, she plays about as influential role, a role in the plot of this movie as Kess does in Voyager. This movie also features Elliot Gould as a Jewish teacher slash potential love interest for the family's mom. American History X takes place in the late 90s world of L.A., which it shows as a combination of perfect cookie-cutter suburban heaven and lawless gangland that are sort of uncomfortably occupying the same space and jostling for power and influence. It's told alternatingly between in-color present-day shots and black-and-white flashbacks of, you know, a couple years ago. The movie opens on Danny, the younger brother, who's been called into the principal's office, uh, that is Avery Brooks. Uh, he's been called into the principal's office because he's turned in a paper on Mein Kampf to intentionally antagonize his Jewish teacher, that is Elliot Gould. The principal demands that he writes a new essay about the influence of his brother on his life. And he says that this is going to be for their new American history class called American History X. Yes, the titular American History X. Also that day, Danny confronts a group of black students who are, for apparently no reason, attacking and antagonizing a white student in the bathroom, which Danny is in because he's in the bathroom smoking. So just to note, Danny Vineyard, as far as I can tell, is exactly the same character that this actor played in Terminator 2. He's sort of a two-grown-up Southern California streetwise hoodlum type kid who swears and, you know, smokes cigarettes and drinks beer and, you know, he's 17. So then we get a flashback that explains what is happening and explains to us why Danny, this kid, who is apparently really smart and, you know, actually somewhat caring, is a neo-Nazi, an actual skinhead. You know, he is not... He, he does have a shaved head. So we get this flashback. This is because Danny's brother, Derek, that is Edward Norton, is getting out of prison today. Where Derek has been incommunicado for three years after he brutally killed two black men who were attempting to steal his car. The movie shows this killing extremely violently. Derek shoots one of the men in the back and then curb stomps the other one after having shot him and tried to kill their the third person, their, their accomplice who's driving away with the car. We get full, like, disturbing footage of this curb stomp. It's, it's, it's really disgusting. We also see news footage of Derek as a younger man showing how he began to be a neo-Nazi, and it is, according to the narrative of the film, because their father was killed in the line of duty as a fireman by a black member of a gang. They, I think they specifically say a crip. So Derek then goes off on this, like, sort of textbook neo-Nazi rant about, like, people changing the city and, 
you know, black people and people of color in general and, you know, the sort of thing that an actual news reporter would have cut away from almost immediately and never actually put on air. But, you know, for the movie, it's it's on the air. All right. A, a further series of flashbacks show us that up until his arrest, Derek had been the leader of a white supremacist gang, which the cops in the movie called the, quote unquote, the first white gang in the area. He is shown as being an extremely charismatic leader and also an extremely effective one. He's shown to be both very smart and very strong. Now, these are being told, like these flashbacks are from the perspective of Danny, Derek's little brother. So it's possible that in the universe of the film that they're supposed to be like aggrandizing and imagining how good and wonderful his brother was. But everybody else around Derek seems to agree that he is very strong and very powerful and very influential. So the movie has some slippage there. I'm not entirely sure if, if it's trying to go there. But so we see Derek being the leader of this gang. We get flashback scenes of him winning a big basketball game with like, you know, thunderous, like swelling 90s music. And they win this big basketball game against black men for control of this basketball court. We see him leading a raid by white supremacists on a Korean-owned grocery store where the Koreans who own the grocery store are... Um, employing undocumented immigrants. And so Derek has this big rousing speech where he gets all of the other white supremacists to put on, you know, their masks and go in and attack the place. We get a, a, a fairly long sequence of them trashing the place, assaulting people. Um, Derek takes a gun from one of the people. We also see him winning an argument against their mom's Jewish suitor that is played by Elliot Gould over the Rodney King riots. Now, this is probably, it might be the most famous scene in the movie because it's one in which a neo-Nazi just like says what he thinks on camera and the movie really eats this up, right? It, it, it really focuses on Norton's performance as Derek and just like lets him go to town and he talks at length about what is wrong with the country and what is wrong with black people and what is wrong with everybody who isn't white and how they're destroying everything and blah, 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 while also repeating some, like, pretty standard right-wing narratives about, like, oh, well, you know, Roddy King was a criminal, and, like, oh, he was going over the speed limit, and, oh, you know, the, the footage was cherry-picked, and blah, 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 like, like the, the things that people actually did say in order to defend the police who brutally assaulted Rodney King during those events. Importantly, in that scene, Derek's mom and Elliot Gould's character and their sister's character, all of whom are depicted as liberals, are shown as being, like, rhetorically weak. They don't know how to respond to Derek. Nobody says, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Shut the fuck up, or something like that. They're they're depicted as being, like, scared of him, um, and not scared of him, like, because they're scared and sad that he's become a neo-Nazi, but, like, because they don't know what to say. You know, they, they just don't know how to respond to, to, to this white supremacist ideology. At the conclusion of this argument, he also becomes violent. He violently threatens Elliot Gould's character, tears off his shirt to show that he has a big swastika tattooed right over his heart. He also physically assaults his sister by shoving a piece of meat from the table into her mouth. I guess maybe the character was supposed to have been vegetarian and that got left on the cutting room floor. I don't know. These are all flashbacks, though. In the present, the, the present action of the movie is Derek is getting out of jail today. And he is distant and not happy with his brother's new white supremacist tattoo, He's not excited to see his skinhead friend who's come to visit them. He's also got hair, 
which both Danny and his friend are constantly teasing him about and being like, oh, you got to cut that off, man, because like we're skinheads, right? That's what they're saying. Later on that night, he goes to a white supremacist party, which is being hosted by a sort of like, you know, white supremacist Southern ideologue character who is a, a caricature of these white supremacist ideologues in the late 90s who were sort of dinosaurs left over from the 60s, 70s, and 80s era, but who had like, you know, repositories of institutional knowledge and also the capital needed to publish books, make records, and uh, sign white supremacist bans, which is what this guy is being shown to do. However, Derek is going to this guy's compound in order to confront him and tell him that he's out, right? After his experiences in prison, he's out. He doesn't want to be a white supremacist anymore, which is not a surprise to the viewer in any possible way, right? It's, it's, it's very transparent that Derek has gotten out of prison not a fascist. He confronts and beats up two people, specifically the ideologue and his former best friend. He also steals one of their guns. Danny finds him at this party and follows him afterwards. And that is where we get the big flashback reveal of the movie. How when Derek was in prison, he fell out of skinheaddom. Specifically what happened was that when he first arrived in prison, he was like, oh crap, uh, I got to protect myself from black people who are going to kill me. That That, that is accepted as 100% true in this film. And I mean, you know, he is in a prison and does have a, a swastika tattooed on his body, as well as other white supremacist symbols. So I guess that's not entirely beyond the realm of possibility. But, you know, he then falls in with a group of white skinheads, white supremacists, and they have this sort of like generalized peace in the prison. Then, in a disagreement within the gang about racial purity, specifically about dealing drugs with the Mexican gang in the prison, the white supremacists beat up and rape him. The, the guards at the prison see this and let it happen. Then, after that, he gets protected by his one black friend from being killed by the black members in prison. This one black friend sh shows up occasionally in these little flashbacks as, like, essentially a piece of comic relief in the jail time story. He is depicted as being funny and just, like, trying to relate to Derek on a personal human level. You know, telling stories, making jokes, which are mostly crude sexual humor or disparaging Derek's favorite NBA team, the Boston Celtics. We also see, as far as I can tell, Derek's one and only recognition that it's possible that white supremacist politics are misleading. When he talks to this, this other man who is in prison and asks him why he's in jail, and the guy says that it is because he stole a TV and ran into a police officer who happened to be walking outside and that the TV that he was holding fell and hit the cop's foot and that he got charged with assaulting an officer, you know, because the prison that they're in is way too serious to be in for just stealing a TV, right? And Derek believes him. And as far as I can tell, that's the only time in the movie that anybody who is a white supremacist is shown being like, oh, dang, maybe my white supremacist ideas are wrong. Anyway, we then get to flash all the way forward back again, and we're back after the party. And we see Derek and Danny being like, yeah, we got to get out of here. You know, we're out. The last real flashback that happens in the movie, the last big reveal flashback, is as Danny is thinking about how he's going to conclude his paper. He's thinking about where he's going to leave things. And he realizes that in this paper that is supposedly about the role that his, his brother has in his life, he's also got to talk about their father. 
because Derek was radicalized by their father's murder, right? But then we, he, you know, roots around in his brain to a, apparently hidden knowledge about how incredibly and openly racist their dad was all the time, I guess. Like, their dad says the N-word apparently openly to them a lot and also, like, is opposed to things as minute as reading books by black authors in school. So, you know, that's, that's the home life that they are from. So Derek and Danny then go back home and we get a feel-good trailer-type shot of them taking down all their white supremacist stuff from their shared bedroom, despite the fact that these two actors are clearly like about 10 years apart. I think narratively they're supposed to be only three years apart or something like that. Uh, then the next day, as Danny is going in to turn in his paper to the principal, he is shot and killed by the black student that he taunted at the beginning of the movie, The End. All right. I've been peppering this throughout my 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 commentary on this movie so far. Uh, I think this movie is a piece of disgusting racist garbage, like a horrible racist trash fire. There are two, count them, two black characters in this film. One of them is the principal, and the other one is Derek's friend in jail. Aside from the principal, literally every single black person is either a criminal or a cop who is on screen for 10 seconds. The first two-thirds of the movie give Derek completely free reign, spouting neo-Nazi garbage without being answered by anybody. Even when he turns away from it, it's because of the personal harm that he has suffered. In the flashback of him being in jail, his de-radicalization flashback, we get a moment when he is in the hospital after he has been assaulted by his fellow white supremacists, and the principal shows up and asks him the question that is apparently the like, you know, the, the turnkey that changes him and makes him de-radicalized. And the principal just says, has anything you've ever done helped you? Has it made your life better? And Derek realizes that that's not true. So his motivation for not being a white supremacist isn't that being a racist is bad or that he was wrong about anything. It's just that it hasn't helped him. When he talks about how he wants to get out of white supremacy, it's like he just says, oh, I'm done, or I want out, or it's all bullshit. It's just pure nihilism that makes him want to leave the white supremacist groups. The leftists in the movie are shown verbally outmaneuvered literally every time, literally left speechless in front of the white supremacist's words. Now, a better movie, like I said, might have been more serious about how the way that these flashbacks show Derek's intellectual and verbal prowess comes from Danny's imaginings of him. But the movie is not good enough for that. It, it, it doesn't show that well enough. We, we don't really get a sense that, that that isn't what's really happening and that it's just what Danny is imagining, remembering, right? A better movie might have been able to do that. Essentially, this movie wants to have an anti-racist stance, but also show that two people in this, in this one white family in LA, were murdered by gang violence. Like, I, I guess the idea is that these murders, the, these acts are, are not because of ideology, but instead about respect. You know, Danny was murdered by this other black man because he felt disrespected by him, or, or like that it's about vendettas. But, but the main character literally has a swastika on his chest, right? You know, like, like you got to answer some of that white supremacist ideology if you're going to put it in your movie. And frankly, the movie is just like not narratively deft enough to show or prove to us that that is why these black men are behaving in the same way that Derek is. 
the fact that we get almost no black voices in the movie, and certainly none of them are explaining why they might be behaving the way that they are. Instead, they're, they're, they're a sort of like environmental hazard that Danny and Derek have to deal with, which is a white supremacist framing of the problems in their community. I mean, it's, 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 it's disgusting. Now, this movie had an extremely famous conflict by the director, Tony Kay, over the final cut, uh, which he hated. Like, it was extremely famous. He, he took out big ads and newspapers and stuff trying to get them to stop putting out the cut that, that, that he, you know, that was ultimately released. He wanted to be removed from the, from the directorial credit on the film, and it really tanked his career. So maybe there's something there. Maybe the director's version wasn't so terrible. I don't know. Anyway, for a movie that is often touted as being, like, more important now than it was when it was released, uh, no. Do not watch this movie in order to understand the problem of racist violence in the United States. It is terrible. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out, all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week.